TJ and PK is brought to you in part by Zero Res. Put your best foot forward with the Zero Res cleaning before the holiday season. Clean in November, make a food donation to Zero Res, and it'll clean a fourth room for free. Forwards or backwards, Zero Res, it's the right way to clean. Call them at 801-288-9376. Time to welcome in David Nixon, BYU TV football analyst and former BYU linebacker. David, good morning. Good morning. Before we get to the new round of bad news, which we'll get to shortly... Your reflections first on the bad news when you watched the college football selection show and saw BYU 14. How surprised what, were you? What happened? What happened last night? What? Why <laughs> weren't you notified? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, Cougar Nation is uh, obviously not happy right now. And, and listen, I think you take the same – I take the same response as, as all the ESPN guys. I mean, everyone, besides obviously the committee – it's all baffled at how BYU lands in that 14 spot. I mean, I just uh, it, d- it doesn't make a lot of sense, especially when you start to break down everyone in front of them. You've got a couple two lost teams in front. Uh, of course, got Iowa State directly in front of BYU, and we know uh, how they lost to Louisiana. And you start to run through all these teams, and of course, the committee then makes excuses of of why BYU is at 14, and you start picking into that at that as well, and strength of schedules, and uh, realize that BYU's got a strength schedule similar to some other groups in front of them, and here they are all the way back at 14 as an undefeated team. So it's, uh, it's baffling. Listen, I feel bad because BYU has done everything that they, they, that they try to do, obviously. I mean, what, what was BYU supposed to do, right? I mean, you had six P5 teams going into this year. They all canceled on you. Uh, and then they left to scrap and, and put games together. All of a sudden, you have a Houston team that says, hey, we can't come to your place anymore. BYU says, listen, you're a good opponent on our schedule. We'll make whatever work. We're coming to you now. We'll, we'll go on the road. I mean, who does that, right? Uh, and then you go play Boise State, and you can't control that you knock out their quarterback. Uh, but regardless, you go up there and beat them by 34 points on the blue turf. I mean, it's just what more could BYU do? And I think that's the frustrating thing for BYU fans is uh, they, Tom Homo went to bat and, and tried to put together a schedule, put together a schedule. Yeah, it's not the most competitive schedule, but it was, it's a schedule. You still played nine games, which nobody else in the entire country can, can say. Uh, and so, you know, you've, you, you've tried to try to put some together, but obviously BYU's best is not good enough, and that's what it basically comes down to. So the idea of playing Cincinnati takes a hit because Cincinnati Temple has been canceled due to the COVID, so maybe they'd have to reschedule that down the line in December. And rather than look at what BYU could have done, what – looking forward is what it's about now they've got to find a way david to find somebody to play that if they beat should give them some some sort of boost even if it's minimal they've got to do it if not once they've got it if not twice they've got to do it once wouldn't you say 100 percent. and i know that tom was eyeing some of these games before the rankings came out last night um, and and then of course the rankings come out and next thing you know i think he's probably in a little bit of a panic mode this morning you know, when you look across the landscape, it's interesting. Really, all the, the P5 conferences really don't need BYU except for the Pac-12. I mean, BYU's ranked higher than any Pac-12 team on that list. And so I, I don't know why the Pac-12, obviously we've seen that they can amend their rules on uh, any, any given day. So why not make an exception? And, and even if there is an opening and two teams have to be matched up against each other within the conference, uh, I think he's still going and trying to lock in a game. And this is what BYU is trying to do with University of Washington. I mean, you saw Kalani, what he said last night, the fact that he wasn't ducking. They weren't trying to board anybody. They tried to make something work with Washington. They just couldn't make it work. And, of course, now we see why. 
because everyone could see the smoke where the games are going to be canceled and you're going to have a UW-Utah matchup anyway. So, uh, you know, I, I think for, for the Pac-12's sake and for BYU's sake, you find a way to match up at BYU and Oregon. And you scratch it and just say, listen, uh, regardless of cancellations, whatever, we're going to lock this game in because the Pac-12 is the only conference that needs BYU at this point. All the other conferences have a team ranked higher than BYU in the, in the, play, in the college football playoff rankings. And so you got to find a way to play Oregon or, uh, you know, somebody else on that, uh, USC, whoever it may be, find a way to play BYU because BYU benefits the Pac-12, whereas then BYU doesn't benefit any other conference right now with how these rankings recently came out. So I'm wondering if uh, Tom also needs to call schools where the conference is in good shape, but the school is borderline, a school that's on the verge of getting into a uh, New Year's Six, or a school that's in a New Year's Six but is on the verge of getting into a playoff. Texas A&M right now is number five, and A&M uh, isn't going to be in the SEC title game because Alabama is going to play Florida. Yeah, it makes me wonder with A&M whether they're trying to hope that you know, when Clemson-Notre Dame play again in the ACC Championship, do one of those drop below them and they can be one of the beneficiaries of, you know, all of a sudden jumping back into the top four like we've seen in years past. And that, that, that number five spot is always a great spot to be because typically you aren't in the championship game, but you, you are the, you know, the beneficiary of one of those teams knocking each other off in the championship game. But uh, I, I agree. Listen, I think everyone's in play right now. And I think that's the interesting part. Probably the tough part for Tom Homo is uh, now that we're so late in the season, now that the college football playoff rankings came out, uh, now you kind of see where everyone's sitting. And, and that's your pitch to everybody to say, listen, we're ranked 14th, and, and you know you beat us, and that obviously catapults you past maybe some teams because the committee obviously shows that uh, strength of schedule is one of the you know, largest um, things that they, they take into account. And so I, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I think every conference is in play right now because, as we've seen, conferences can change the rules and amend their rules to however it's going to benefit them. And I think that's Tom Homo's pitch right now is saying, listen, I know SEC, you guys, um, you know, didn't do the out-of-conference uh, games, but here's, here's an opportunity, right? And so we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But this is, a, this is obviously not where you want to be if you're BYU. I think that's the frustrating part. BYU felt like they'd, they'd done everything they have been asked to do. They went out there and absolutely dominated all their opponents. And, and once again, yeah, they weren't great, but they took care of business. Uh, and and their, their best wasn't good enough. And – that you know it's shown through the ranking. So there's still some weeks to be played. Iowa State still has to go play. Um, I think they play Texas. I think that's this week. Uh, and then you've got some other teams. I think uh, um, uh, Wisconsin and I believe it's uh, Indiana has still have to play each other. So there'll be there'll be some teams that probably lose and, and fall below BYU. But you know, 14's not not where we want to be right now with knowing that. To get to that large bid, you got to be basically as high as a ranking as possible. There's never any guarantees for an independent like BYU, but obviously the higher ranking, the better, and the, the more likely you get picked up as an at-large. And 14, I think all BYU fans feel a little uneasy. That's not that's not the spot you want to be in. How much do you think the committee just looked at the Cougars this year and saw, ah, the schedule isn't good enough, as opposed to looking, hey, they've got a lot of three-year starters that have got experience combined with talent, and that's the reason why they're doing what they're doing, not the opposition. Yeah, I don't know how much thought went into BYU, frankly. When, when you look at, once again, what, what the explanation was of, of BYU not playing any way to schedule and then the Boise State having their – he thought that – he said, I, I think their third-string quarterback was in there. Well, it's actually their fourth-string. Um, but 
you know, I, I don't I know how much thought went into it because you could tell how all the ESPN guys were just baffled. I mean, they're they're uh, they're shocked that BYU is that low, and and you saw the response from the national writers as well, saying clearly these people haven't watched BYU this year. Uh, because I think you're right. Uh, I, I think when you do watch BYU on film and you watch them in the games, you realize this is a dominating team. I mean, this is a team that's pulling their starters at halftime or at the end of the third quarter and still being teams by 30-plus, 40-plus. And so, um, you know, it, it, you, maybe a lot of these guys are waking up and just looking at the score and saying, okay, that's a good score. But it's a whole different deal when you watch this team just completely dominate from start to finish. And so, uh, you know, it's tough. Listen, if you're if you're a player right now, you're just as frustrated as anybody because, once again, you've lined up to get the schedule that, that, that had to be put in place, that Tom Homo put in place, and you've gone out there and dominated and you get rewarded with a 14th ranking, uh, which pretty much signifies that you're on the outside looking in at this point. And, once again, there's still a couple weeks to be played. There's still some shuffling that will occur. But the, the taste in your mouth today when you woke up is not a good taste. And I think that's why Tom Homo's calling any everybody. The problem is, but Cincinnati, you lose any leverage with them because they don't need BYU at this point. Uh, and and then once again, you go to all these other conferences, and and a majority of them have teams ranked above BYU, so they're doing fine. They don't need a BYU, so it puts BYU in a tough spot right now. There's not a lot of leverage to be had, but uh, we'll see if Tom can pull something out of his hat. So you figure Kalani goes for 100 points against San Diego State, the century mark. At the minimum, at the minimum, put up 100. Yeah, I mean, you could tell. How about that interview last night on ESPN? I, you could tell he wanted to rip somebody's head off. And that, <laughs> that's, why, that's why I think BYU fans obviously love Kalani and the players love Kalani because you could tell he was doing everything to restrain himself on that call, um, and he did a pretty good job. But you saw him come out and say, we're not scared of anybody. We'll play anybody. And honestly, that's his mentality. I don't think he's trying to posture at all. This is a guy who believes that BYU, especially this year, can match up with anybody in the country. Uh, and, and we've talked about in weeks past, a lot of it is, uh, it was PK mentioned a second ago, a lot of it is because of the, the team they have. I mean, these are kids that the majority of the team were all freshmen, starting as freshmen. And, and Kalani had to go through those years to try to coach these kids up, and, and he had to go through all the mistakes and, and game-losing interceptions that we saw from Zach Wilson. And, and I think after all those losses, he sat in the locker room and thought, thought to himself, man, here in a couple years, all these guys will learn from their mistakes and we're going to be a great team. And sure enough, here we are in 2020 with that team that he always looked forward to having, and, and you've kind of been get dealt the cards or dealt with this year. And it's just kind of a bummer. And I think that's some of the frustration coming out in him as well, uh, is that he has one of his best teams he's had, probably the best team he's had in Independence, uh, and, and you're stuck with uh, the schedule he's been stuck with, and you can't really prove yourself. And there's nothing really you can do, right? I mean, there's, there's nothing he can do. Obviously, Tom Holmes got to go out there and schedule these opponents, uh, but I think that was kind of his plea yesterday. Listen, we'll play anybody. We're not afraid of anybody. Just sign them up and bring them. And I think that's truly the mentality of this team. The bummer is I'm not sure if they're going to be able to show against a quality opponent, but we'll see. Changing topics a little bit. I mean, it's apparent, isn't it, Mr. Nixon, that Drew Brees has made his last NFL start? <laughs> I definitely would not say that. Uh, listen, that, that was – that was incredible. It was an incredible game. I mean, uh, uh, I think I mentioned to you guys last week. I was I was heading down there for it, and it, the atmosphere. Even though, of course, in the, in the Superdome, they don't they don't allow I think six or seven, eight thousand fans. There weren't a lot of fans there, but it was fun to be there and, and see when Taysom trotted out there on the field. Uh, just kind of the support from the the Saints fans just erupted, and I don't know if you could hear it on the TV, but 
the place was pretty loud cheering for Taysom on his first start. Uh, and then he proceeded to go out there and go 18 for 23. Uh, pretty much a flawless game. He had one kind of short, uh, short hop the ball to, a, to an out route. I joked with him and asked him what happened there, and he said that uh, it just completely slipped out of his hand, which, which obviously happens. And then he had the fumble late, um, which was just him trying to, to, to create a little bit. But other than that, the, the game, I mean, you look at what he's able to do with the play action and, and hit his receivers. Michael Thomas finally got back involved. I think he had 10 catches going in the game. I believe he had eight or nine in the game itself. Uh, and so Taysom is able to feed, you know, their best receiver. And um, he, after talking to him after the game, we, we went over to his house and had dinner and hung out for a couple hours, watched Sunday night football and, and uh, he said all the, the, his teammates were pretty complimentary after the game and, and pretty supportive. And I think he kind of felt that love. And so it's fun to see that the whole New Orleans, not only the fan base, but also the players themselves kind of rallying around Taysom and realizing he's the guy. He's the guy until Drew's able to come back, which, uh, you know, putting him on IR means Taysom's got to start at least for the next couple of weeks. And then uh, we'll see how quickly Drew can get back. But, uh, man, it was fun. It was fun to see him go out there. I, I know he, you could tell he was really, very relieved as well, but, he also said he, go, he said he told us he goes listen, I wasn't very nervous. I I've never felt more confident, and more prepared going into a game, and we've talked about this in the past as well with with Drew. Uh, those guys are up there every single day. Uh, I mean, Drew Brees, a guy who played for twenty twenty one years, uh, he he spends their off day Tuesdays up at the facility basically all day, and and Taysom is is pretty much expected for Taysom to be there with them to watch film and go over game plans and things, and uh, I think that's the great thing about being under. You know, second string to a Hall of Fame quarterback is you, you learn how to study and how to be prepared. And, and Taysom felt very confident going to the game, and fortunately it showed. So, David, your former linebacker mentality, how long until they're sitting on all those short routes he completed and making him go down the field? Not, you know, crossing routes, 15, 20 yards, whatever, and also throwing deep balls because that deep ball, Sanders came back and made it a completion, but my gosh, that looked awkward. Yeah, that, that one got away from him as well, he said. Uh, just kind of floated on him. Uh, but then he had the one later in the game, there was a touchdown, called back because of holding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a play There was a play action where he had the blitz coming in his face and he slid to his left, slid to his left, bombed some time, and he completed the out route. as like a 15-yard out route. So, um, you know, I, listen, the good thing about Taysom, of course he led the team in rushing, which, is, which was ironic. But I, I think if you go back and watch it, he wasn't looking to run every play. It wasn't like a freshman quarterback in college that they look at their first read, it's not there, and all of a sudden they're escaping the pocket and looking to looking to create and, and get out of that whole mess, which is the pocket itself, right? I mean, young quarterbacks tend to like to get out because you don't have all the confusion. You don't have all the hands waving in your face. You don't have guys bearing down on you. They like to be out on the run. But you, you watch Taysom, he sat in that pocket pretty well. He took a couple hits. Um, but, but of course, when it really broke down, that's when he escaped and he scored a couple touchdowns. So, you know, I, I think he played a p- pretty complete game. Uh, I don't think it was just luck that he was out there uh, dishing out the ball the way he was, he was doing. Um, but, you know, I, I think he, he was able to mix it up. He had some short routes. He had some, like, quick outs, uh, which is what the coaching staff wanted. And then he completed some deep balls as well. So he had, he had kind of a mix, of, mix of everything. It wasn't just throwing three- or four-yard checkdowns all night. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see. They, they play much tougher defense this week in, in Denver. I think they're ranked the number 12 defense overall. So he'll have his hands full at Denver. We'll see kind of how, uh, how he performs against them. Well, the bright side is the same defense ought to hold the Denver offense down similarly, so it, and I don't think it's going to take 30 points to win the game. Famous last <laughs> words, Yach will now play this, I know. but 
David? Yeah, the de- I was going to say, the credit to the defense, eight sacks, it was incredible. I mean, the, the defense definitely helped them out, and that was yeah. fun, to, fun to watch them, put them in good field position and uh, allow them to be successful. But, yeah, fun game. Let's, let's hope you can keep it rolling next week. David, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Take care. All right, Riley Jensen, the former Aggie, our college football insider. He joins us next. Stay with us. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. In the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Join the big show Friday from 2 to 7 at the warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! Boom! My bad. Thank you. (laughs) Time to bring in our college football insider, Riley Jensen. Riley, good morning. Good morning, fellas. How's it going? Good. We have many things to discuss with you, Utes, Cougars, and Aggies, but the headline of the morning, obviously, is BYU coming in at 14. i got to say, I was stunned that they got, and I've said this multiple times, that they've gotten so much run out of such a weak schedule and got all the way to number eight, but with the media and the coaches voting them there week after week, or at least the football operations guy for the coach, uh, I was getting pretty comfortable with that. I thought, well, they'll probably be a little lower. There's no way I expect them to come in at 8. 10, maybe 12. I'm thinking, man, 15 would be worst-case scenario. And then having said that, I was still surprised when they popped up at 14. Yeah, I think, I think it's totally surprising that they're at 14. I, look, there's nothing that they can do about their schedule. There's nothing that they can do to improve it. In fact, I think they had done such a great job of putting together this schedule so that they could have you know, an opportunity to play against some good teams this year. It's really unfortunate. And it probably, if you're a BYU fan, it hurts just a little bit more because you knew you had a great schedule put together. And now BYU's playing really well. It's going to be harder and harder to even get anyone to schedule in these last few weeks. I know people are disappointed about Cincinnati, but all along I haven't seen any reason that Cincinnati would want to play BYU. There's, there wasn't a lot to win there. And so – it's a tough situation. I I personally liked the way Kalani handled it. I think he was assertive. I think he was a little perturbed, and I think he stuck up for his team. And I think that's basically all you can do in this situation because you can't control. You have no control over you know this this whole process. All you can control is the games that you're playing and winning the games as convincingly as you can and. I, I my heart goes out to him because I I thought fourteen was way too low. I I certainly I'm like you. I didn't think they'd be at eight, but I certainly they I thought they'd be in that top twelve with an opportunity to play for a New Year's Six Bowl. So you think that's out? Well, it, it feels like you're on the outside looking in, and the way that they're looking at BYU's schedule. You're now you're 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 kind of an afterthought. There's a few things that would have to happen in front of you that would be fairly significant for you to get up there. But I mean, it's still a possibility. 
but I just thought, man, what a what a weird place to be. I, it's interesting too because guys, when I when I was ten years old, I remember specifically watching ABC and Jim Lampley, and they put a big, huge thing up on the board. Should BYU be the national champions? And really, ever since then, I've had a, a, a real basic awareness that BYU has to do everything perfect and the stars have to align for them to get the just credit that they want. And it, it's not necessarily, you know, I, I think BYU fans sometimes do have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and they are a little bit negative about the situation. I don't think everybody is, but I think some are. But when when something like this comes up, it just it just fuels that fire a little bit, and it, it makes me scratch my head a little bit. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joining us. Uh, one thing people were saying uh, that didn't make any sense to anyone locally who'd already followed it more closely and figured it out was BYU ought to play Washington. Well, we were all pretty sure Washington's going to play Utah, and now Washington's going to play Utah. Uh, for the Utes, who lost to USC in the opener, uh, where are their potential advantages in this game? What are you watching for the most improvement? Well, hopefully they improve offensively. I thought, I thought defensively they played pretty good. I mean, you know, Kyle will be the first to say it. Most coaches will be the first to say it. You, you turn the ball over four times, you're not going to – you're not going to win very many football games, especially in the Pac-12. So Utah's got to take care of the football. Traditionally, that is that is something that Kyle has taken a lot of pride in. It's something that Andy Ludwig has taken a lot of pride in. But I'll give them a little bit of a pass because with Cam Rising going out, you know, I think it was like 16 plays into the game, and then you've got Bentley in the game. Although Bentley was competing at a high level to be the starter for the Utes, my guess is that most of the reps over the two weeks that they were waiting to play their first game were going to Cam Rising to give him an opportunity to, um, you know, to, to be the starter and to play meaningful reps. I certainly see. I, I certainly see in this game that you'll see uh, Bentley really improve his game. And then I thought there were some nice. I thought there were some nice parts of the game. I like the way Utah ran the ball. Um, if they can eliminate some of those turnovers, I think they're going to be in every Pac-12 game. Not as dominating as what they've been in the past, but I think we all knew that. I think, I think we knew that it, you know, that they had lost a lot of professional players, and it was going to be difficult to just come out and and you know hit the ground running. So, what you see of Bentley that you think that uh, maybe he can win some ball games for you? I thought he ran the ball better than I thought he could. Um, I, I had anticipated that he could pass the ball. I think that he could sharpen up a little bit in the passing game. But I think what was a pleasant surprise to me is he's the type of quarterback, when I'm watching him, that if he runs within the context of the pass play, meaning he goes through his first read, his second read, maybe his third read, and then turns and runs the ball, he can be fairly dangerous against Pac-12 defenses, and that was a little bit surprising to me when I watched him because I was expecting nothing from the run game, the way that everybody talked to me about it, the way everybody had, had stated that, you know, Cam Rising is this dual-threat guy and uh, Bentley is just a, you know, a traditional passer. So to me, I'm excited to see where he can go. Um, I'd like to see them use some of these 
quick and speedy running backs a little bit in their passing game. Because I think those guys, when they're in space, I think they can cause some real problems. Now, I don't know how well they catch the ball because we didn't see much of that. But when they're in space and when those guys were able to get to the second level, those running backs were fun to watch. I think the fan favorite is usually the little guy. And the little guy in this case is Ty Jordan. And at 200 pounds, I'm not sure there's a lot of people who want to tackle that little guy. But he is 5'7". So I think that's why. He, but it looks like when he gets hit, he finishes everything going straight at the goal line. He doesn't finish sideways. He doesn't go down where he's hit. There's always two extra yards. I think he runs violently by nature. And we know Kyle loves that because we've heard him use that expression dozens of times. Yeah. I think... I think um... Uh, the fun thing about him when I was watching is, is you're right, is he falls forward, right? There's there's never that play where he's falling back on his back, where he's getting blown up, where he's not able to, like... And, you know, at, at 5'7", 200, you've got to be the type of guy that doesn't take hits straight on. You've got to be able to be the guy that can make sure that those hits are deflected and that you're not, that you're not taking the full blow if you want to last the whole season. And I think he's that type of runner. I think that's the reason why he's playing at the University of Utah at five seven. There's not a lot of guys that get, get recruited that you know that are in that height range um, if they if they don't run the way he does. And he's an exciting runner, and you know the staple of a Kyle Whittingham team is to be able to run the football and to be able to take care of the football. And so I would expect a steady dose of him. Uh, I thought. I thought Washington was an interesting matchup. It's interesting. There's two wide receivers starting for Washington that are from the state of Utah. You got Ty Jones from uh, Provo High School, and then you got Puka Nakua from Orem High School, who are right here in BYU's backyard, right here in Utah's backyard. And they weren't able to land them, and both of them were playing at a pretty high level uh, last week when I was watching that game. So it's going to be interesting to see if those guys are motivated because they know that there's going to be eyeballs on the screen um, of all their friends back home, you know, and, and whether it's at Utah or whether it's at, at Washington, doesn't really matter right now because people have to watch it on TV. And so interesting to see if those guys are excited and motivated to play against the University of Utah and if the Washington coaches put some, some extra wrinkles in the game to maybe highlight their skills and their talents. I mean, Puka Nakua took one, I think it was like 80 yards. or 65. 70. 65. Arizona's yeah. defense looked lost on that play. I mean, he made a nice catch, spin around to catch the ball, but there's nobody within 10 yards of him. What are they right. doing? It was a shallow crossing route. It was nothing tricky. There was no I pick. Totally, I totally agree, but the interesting stat when I was watching that play was that's the longest pass play for Washington since 2017, and it's by a true freshman from Orem, right? So this is a guy who has big play capability. I mean, we saw him play – Week after week after week here in the state of Utah, he's really good. And Ty Jones, I mean, we forget because he's been up there for three years. Last year he was injured. But that guy can make catches like nobody I've ever seen. I, I, I faced him twice as a coach at Alta, and it was like if that ball went up in the air, it's almost, it's, it's almost automatic that it's coming down to Ty Jones. So I'm excited to watch those guys play just because of the local tie. And then I'm excited to watch the University of Utah and see what kind of improvement they can make with, with, you know, the, the traditional cliche of from game one to game two. Yeah, I think Nakua is actually a sophomore. Uh, but uh, he committed to SC, and then they uh, had some issues, so he decommitted and he goes to Washington. 
how come he didn't give uh, Utah a serious look? I mean, his brother's on there, BYU for that matter. But then he go, he commits SC and ends up going to Washington. Well, I think I think his other brother played for BYU. Uh, I think his other brother was a safety for BYU. Yeah, so you yeah. got you got a brother that played yeah, at yeah. Utah. You got a brother that played at BYU. I mean, I'm sure that it's not a condemnation at all on whether BYU and Utah are offering them or trying to recruit them. I personally feel like Puka is he had he had big stars in his eyes. Like he wanted to go to the biggest stage possible and and be able to play at a high level and and make a mark. Now, I hope that doesn't hurt University of Utah's fans feelings right now when I say that but when he's he's talking about USC and Washington and probably Oregon as possibilities he's thinking I can win the Pac-12 championship and if and if we go undefeated on one of those teams I'll have a chance to play in the college playoff and it's not that Utah can't do that but it's and, and Utah was really close last year it just feels like but that was the feeling that he had when he was being recruited. Like, I want to be on the national stage. I want to be seen for what I can do. So your Aggies have the Lobos. Both teams are on four. This is clearly the best chance to get a win. It's bad seasons for both teams. That's obvious, and the Aggies have had the coaching change. But at least one win. At least don't have a zero in the win column. Put yourself in the shoes of the players on those teams. Thanksgiving night, nobody in the stands, but a chance to get one win. That's got to matter a lot, doesn't it? Well, I think it does, and I think, you know, if, if – if you're looking at it from a psychological standpoint, I mean, it's, you, you play to win. You, you, you go, you prepare all this time, you put all this work into your body, you put all this work into your dreams. You don't go out there to lose. You don't go out there to play with lackluster effort. And so I think these guys are going to be ready to play. The one thing that I can tell you about Utah state in the, in the recent games, they haven't won, but they've played harder. And I've been, I've been proud of the effort. I've been excited to see the reaction from some of these players. And I think some of them are playing for Frank Miley, and I think Frank Miley's making his case for a job. So, of course, he wants to get a win. Of course, he wants to play at a high level. Of course, he wants to be able to do the things that, that head coaches do to turn the momentum. And I really feel like Frank's already changed the momentum in a lot of ways. But um, it just hasn't showed up as far as outcome goes. But his effort, his enthusiasm, I think his professionalism, when you watch the players react to him, I think I think they play with much more effort than what they have in the past. Yeah, it's amazing that we're at this spot since a couple years back they won 11 games. But as I look at this hire, whoever they decide to go with, it couldn't be more important because this program, they've had a bunch of guys who have entered the transfer portal and they haven't won a game and all this stuff, and so if they don't make the right hire, man, they could be in trouble. Well, I think it's I think it's always important to make a good hire. I think I think the good news about Utah State when you're talking about Utah State football is the facilities are, I mean, they're just night and day to when I played in 1998, and I and I can't remember when I, I, the indoor facility was finished while I was playing up there, so I got to practice in the indoor facility, but. When you look at that north end zone complex, when you look at the when you look at the um, the press box, when you look at the field, I mean, for heaven's sakes, during the independent years, 
Utah State have the wrong color end zones. They have Florida blue in their end zones. It's just so much better than what it was in the independent era. I think being in the Mountain West Conference gives you some cachet and some ability. And I think coaches, when they come in and they see the facilities, they're pleasantly surprised. I've been to other places. I coached at North Carolina State. I've seen their facilities. I've seen what they're trying to do. BYU, Utah, and Utah State have as good of facilities. And now I'm not talking about, like, size of stadiums or anything like that, but as far as, like, the weight room at Utah State, the indoor facility, the press box, the ability for a player to get better, it's as good as anywhere in the country. And so these coaches, they'll have an opportunity to turn it around. Now the other thing, and I was talking to DJ the other night on the phone, and I think this is a really good point, so I'm going to give you credit for it, DJ, but – I mean, Utah State was three and nine two years before they were eleven and two, right? So it's not like it's not like you don't have the opportunity to turn things around quickly. But I think the same thing happens when you're in the Mountain West Conference that if you get thin or if some things go a little bit sideways, it also can drop really fast. And so, yes, the the hire is very important. But it's not like Utah State. We're, we're not going back to the independent days. We're not going back to these, you know, when when I played in a bowl game in 97, that was the only bowl game of the 90s, right? We're not going back there. We're, 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 we're a team that has played really, really good. We're a program that's played really good over the last 10 years with a couple of blips on the radar. And I really feel like this is going to be a blip. So if you're a Utah State fan and you're and you're super worried, I understand your concern, but I think that, that getting the right guy in place and, and just making a case here, you can turn it around fairly quickly at Utah State now. I think that's true at a lot of schools uh, in the league. Uh, Wyoming was in a conference title game, I think, 2016. I think they were a two-win team. And the next year they were in the conference title game. Fresno went one win to ten wins to 12 wins, back down to four wins. I think that right. uh, you know the margin for error is small. These teams don't have a lot of depth. When everything goes right, it goes really right. When it goes wrong, it goes really wrong. So, yeah, and, I, and the Aggies have written the elevator up and down. You know, so they'll probably do it again. Yeah, and I mean, even even Kalani Sataki last night when he's addressing the media, he's talking about how they've built depth up so that so that they didn't have excuses to blame COVID or any of the other things that are going on. And that's the thing that teams are constantly, when you're part of the G5 conferences, and, and BYU is you know, kind of in between P5 and G5, you're constantly working on your depth. You're constantly praying much harder than you pray at Alabama or Clemson about not having injuries and being able to make it through a season fairly injury-free. And that you know, your, your strength and conditioning coaches, your, all the auxiliary coaches that you hire become very important, especially in a G5 conference like Mountain West Conference, in my opinion. Riley, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. You're the man. Thanks, guys. You guys, your show's awesome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, talking some Cougars, talking some Utes, talking some Aggies. Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Jazz, coming up in 15 minutes right here on 97.5 and 1280. The Zone will get his take on free agency, who his top teams are in the West now, what he thinks of the, the Jazz bringing favors back. Stay with us. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal!
with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. The initial college football playoff rankings not viewing the Cougs like the AP and the coaches poll. BYU comes in at number 14. Kalani Sitake. But last I checked, I didn't know the quarterback for Boise State played defense. Whoa! <laughs> you know what I love right there? Kalani sticking up for his team. I think that's great. You and I both agree. BYU's schedule has been substandard this year. They put together what they could under very difficult circumstances. But don't be denigrating what BYU did against Boise State. Well, they're looking for uh, whatever reason they can to exclude BYU. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. All right, PK, curveballs coming at everybody this morning. We were discussing like an hour and a half ago uh, how BYU had to get Cincinnati on December 5th. That was the game. And Cincinnati had to get in the, uh, wants to get in the playoff, and they're at number seven. And how do they get up three spots? So a quality win would help them. And then the news breaks during the show that Cincinnati has got a COVID outbreak, and so does Temple, and the game is off. And apparently they already know from the number of people that tested positive that Cincinnati can't play on the 5th. So that date's already off the board for the Bearcats, which means it's off the board for a BYU-Cincinnati game. Uh, Great ideas for Tom Homo right now, because obviously he's got to schedule games, he's got to schedule high-quality opposition, and the one game everybody's been talking about for the last 24 hours now apparently can't happen. Help! Uh, How about the 7th? How about Monday? (laughs) <laughs> when do their guys come out? They've got a game uh, the following Saturday. So how? Hey, we saw NFL football on a Tuesday. So, <laughs> and we have seen when teams they, play Saturday, yeah, Thursday. Yeah, uh, th- these are trying times, and you're BYU trying to make a case. And I don't know that you're going to be around this way again. And that's knocking on the door in a New Year Six because it's obvious as an independent. They're not looking to get you in. No. And you've got to do something extraordinary. And, you know, I don't know that if Zach Wilson goes to the NFL, that you, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Obviously, if we return to normal, that the schedule will be tougher, so it'll be harder. And it's pretty much clear you better be undefeated. So maybe a Monday is an option. I don't know what Cincinnati would want because I don't really know. Uh, what's in it for Cincinnati now? I mean, Cincinnati's not going to get in the playoffs, so forget it. It's, it's just I don't re- I don't really think that's their objective. It's just they're not going to allow that to happen. This, these committee folks and these people who run this, so they they have a New Year Six locked up. I mean, they, as a situation being what they are in the conference, if they do what they do, they'll get that. It'll be automatic. I think that you know if it's a bigger picture here for what BYU's objective is about. And suddenly a New Year's Six has just become like the utmost importance, right? Not going undefeated, but a New Year's Six, because if you go undefeated and say you add somebody, whether you do or you don't, and you beat the Aztec, which isn't a given by any stretch, but just to say you do for the sake of argument, and then you're, you get slotted. I mean, McMurphy has him in the New Mexico Bowl this morning at uh, his yep. thing that that came out. That would be considered a massive disappointment. Well, if the New Year's Day thing 
is really, really where it's at. And I don't know that it is, but just for the sake of argument, it is right now. That's what's all the disappointment is. Well, then find a way to get in the AAC and then run through the table there, and then you'll get in. If that's your big issue of not having an access to a New Year's Day and that becomes the big thing, then join that conference and you'd get in if you took care of biz, if that's the ultimate issue. So what I'm saying is I don't know that it is the ultimate issue because I don't know that they want to join that conference. So if they don't get in and they go, what are they, 9-0, and 10-0, and 11-0, and you just want 11-0, and zero, go cash in on recruiting on that. So maybe we need to not emphasize this New Year's Six as much. Now, if you want to, there's solutions that you can go and have to achieve that. That was very logical. Since when did you become me? What about the emotion, PK? I want the reward. I want the big game, the best opponent. The best way to get a big opponent is to be in a... In the New Year's Six. I mean, they're going to try to schedule one of these teams okay, that's kind of okay. in that area in the rankings on the fly. Maybe they'll get one. Maybe they won't. They need to find someone where, you know, I was, uh, who I don't remember who we were joking with yesterday. What's my motivation? You know, it's like some acting class. What's my motivation? You know, what is someone's motivation to play BYU? Maybe there's somebody who's just barely outside of the New Year's Six themselves. The Wisconsin-Indiana winner. They're going to play each other, and they're both kind of on the fringe. Now, maybe the winner's in, and they don't need it, and the loser's out, so they don't need it. You know, Maybe A&M's on the verge of a playoff. But those are just short-term solutions, potentially. Why not try to solve the bigger problem if that is such a big deal to you? If they were in the Mountain West, they'd still be on the outside looking in right now because Cincinnati would be the higher-ranked team. And since the AAC now has been ranked above the oh, Mountain the West multiple years. Better. Yeah, right. I think that's it's not a one-year deal. And with BYU, clearly it would be. Right. It's not a one-year deal. It's a, it's a five-year trend now that yeah. the AAC is getting the bid, Correct. not the Mountain West. Uh, Boise State got one you know, with the uh, Arizona game, but that's like six years in the rearview mirror now. Well, Boise State had their crack, yeah. Boom, there it is. All right, we're done. They did. They All had right. their crack. All right, coming up, Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Jazz. Stay with us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.